We are the Narrators 3, Elisa, Lynn, and Chell. And this is Once Upon a Rewatch, where every plot device comes with a price. Welcome to Once Upon a Rewatch, Season 1, Episode 17, Hat Trick. The air date for this episode was March 25th, 2012. The writers were David H. Goodman, yeah, we know you, buddy, and Vladimir Svetko. This is Vladimir's first writing credit. His only other writing credits include the shows Kingdom, Power, and Impulse. This is his only Once Upon a Time credit. The director was Ralph Hemaker, who we know from 7.15 a.m. and will come to know for 26 more episodes. The title card features Wonderland mushrooms and birds. We begin in Storybrooke with the camera panning along Mary Margaret's empty jail cell before the scene quickly cuts to the woods in which Mary Margaret is desperately running. She collapses against a tree, breathless, scared, looking over her shoulder to ensure no one is following her. When she catches her breath, she continues on her escape. Meanwhile, Henry is sitting in the corridor outside of Emma's office, reading his fairy tale book with a look of bafflement across his face. Henry's face says everything we feel about these god-awful freeze frame illustrations. Oh, they're so bad. They're not good. <sighs> Emma, along with Mr. Gold, show up, surprised to see Henry, who congratulates Emma on her genius plan. Amused, Mr. Gold asks what plan that might be. Nervously, Henry hesitates to answer, prompting Mr. Gold to take pity on the boy and politely excuse himself so Henry can talk in secret with Emma. Henry apologizes to his mother, figuring Mr. Gold was in on the plan as he is Mary Margaret's lawyer. In on what? Emma asks. The escape plan, Henry replies, followed by Mr. Gold beckoning for the sheriff to step into the office where an empty cell is standing before them. Emma initially tosses an accusation at Henry, who is quick to plead his innocence. Emma, Henry is 11. Come on, why are we putting this on him? I bet he could have pulled it off. He's a very crafty boy. I mean, I guess he does boy. have a series of misdemeanors under his belt at this mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. Mr. Gold tersely reminds Emma that the arraignment is tomorrow at 8 a.m. Realizing her friend is now a fugitive, Emma is quick to transfer her growing panic into action as she heads out to search for Mary Margaret. Worry overcomes Henry as he panic whispers to Emma about the consequence of the residents leaving Storybrooke, but Emma ushers him out as Mr. Gold warns her that if she is caught helping Mary Margaret, her future is in jeopardy. Emma says she does not care. She just wants to help her friend. Emma's like, fuck the police, which is me, I guess. And I'm going to help Mary <laughs> Margaret. Fuck, fuck, fuck the police. <laughs> oh no, I am the police. I am the police, but fuck me. I'm going to help her. I do like that at the end of this scene, it shows Mr. Gold looking like, I don't know, smug pleased either way he just like looks proud as hell of his adopted daughter is she just like oh. i'm gonna do it anyway damn the law he's just yeah, like damn the law and he's just like nah that's uh, my girl there she goes making me proud there she goes <laughs> my goddaughter i love her so much i'm so proud i wish i could just have a camera right here take a nice little like, <laughs> selfie with her it's just like make me proud honey make me proud <laughs> He like pumps a fist and is like, yeah, damn the man. <laughs> damn the man. <laughs> a dense wet fog clouds Emma's vision as she drives through darkened wood-lined roads in search of Mary Margaret. She is so distracted that she narrowly misses a pedestrian strolling along the edge of the road. Oh my God, goth crime, goth down, goth down. Hot man in the road, hot man, hot man. Sebastian Stan. <laughs> The man takes a tumble as Emma stops to apologize and ensure he is okay. He insists that he is fine, recognizing her as the new sheriff and asks what she's doing. Emma lies, saying that she's out looking for her lost dog. He wishes her luck and heads out, noticeably limping away. Emma insists on driving him home, which he takes up, introducing himself as Jefferson. The smile in this scene that Emma makes is so genuine. And it's not at all guarded like she usually is in introductions. So I thought it was really interesting. Like, I don't know if it's oh. because, like, Emma has, has like, grown and opened herself up more to people. Or if it's just, he's, he's so hot and charming. That I was going to say, just look at him. <laughs> 
and he's very charming in this little introduction you're like oh what a nice man <laughs> yeah yeah he's all he's all like it's just a flesh wound it's just a flesh wound i'll be okay sadly limps down the highway going my house is only a mile away <laughs> i'll be fine <laughs> i make it somehow and it's just like jeez <laughs> you're lucky no, it's you're all- cute it's all like wintry and foggy out. Yeah. She's like, oh, with no. his big old puppy dog eyes. I'm sorry, I got distracted thinking about his puppy dog eyes. Okay. He's too handsome. It's really understandable, honestly. Yeah. In the Enchanted Forest, we see the same man running frantically through the woods, foppish hair and coattails flying behind him. He cowers behind a tree as if hiding, exhaling a sigh of relief when he peeks out and sees nothing or no one. The shots of him running in the woods with like that gold coat flapping is so gorgeous. It's just beautiful. Be real. Everything he does is gorgeous. It's Amen. <laughs> Papa, I found you, a little girl exclaims. His daughter Grace has found him. Father and daughter were playing hide and go seek before looking for mushrooms to sell at the market. Ah, oh, well, my ovaries are exploding. Why can't I find a hot single dad like Jefferson? Also, Grace's capelet is gorgeous, and I want it, and that dress, everything about her little cottagecore wardrobe, I completely want. So cute. He's just, he's just such a hot, soft dad in these flashbacks, and you're like, oh no, protect him. At all costs. Mm -hmm. As they approach their humble cottage in the woods, the duo finds a waiting carriage outside that Jefferson recognizes as belonging to the queen. Grace inquires if he knows the queen, which her father denies. Jefferson instructs his daughter to go hide in the woods while he goes to find out what's happening. She runs into the woods while he goes to investigate. Here comes Regina to fuck up everything. Inside the cottage, the queen is waiting and upon seeing him, remarks that poverty does not suit him. This bitch, like she full makes this comment about him not looking well and like, shut the fuck up. He's hot as hell, woman. Unimpressed by her presence and with informal familiarity, Jefferson asks, what do you want, Regina? She says she has a job for him. He announces that he does not do that anymore. Yes, I heard you hung up your hat, Regina replies with mild surprise. She holds up a little stuffed bunny and adds, is it because of your sweet daughter, Grace? I love how familiar and informal they are, especially like the way Jefferson greets her, and I use the word greet very loosely, is like the way you would talk to a friend of a friend who always like takes the party way too far. Like everyone is having a good, fine time. And then Regina shows up and with like Jaeger bombs and fireworks and her mom's stolen Mustang. Like she is the Ferris Bueller, uh, (laughs) you know, of like the fucking gang who's like, get out of bed. We're going like, we're going to go like, steal your dad's car and you know sneak into fancy restaurants and shit she's like no yeah because he definitely doesn't seem intimidated by her he just is like no not at all he's just like oh get the fuck out of yeah he's like god not this again i can't no no i said never again get out yeah like when she shows up you know your life is about to suck for a while like you're you always have that one friend who can't say no to their wild friend and Regina's the wild friend. Yeah. Like, they they are not friends. They have a common friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, there is a person who has linked them. And Jefferson, I'm sure, like, completely regrets the connection. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> yeah. oh, like no. Uh, no, not you. I mean, I love the fact that he doesn't even, like, acknowledge that she's a queen or nothing. He's like, no, not at like, all. what do you want, yeah. Regina? <laughs> <laughs> Jefferson says that it's due to his former line of work that Grace lost her mother and he won't risk making Grace an orphan. Um, So it doesn't ever get mentioned within the series itself, but it is in the expanded universe that his wife, Priscilla, who was also a thief, they met while kind of going after, I think, the same object and decided to become partners in crime. And then they fell in love and got married. And they settled in the Enchanted Forest and they had Grace. When Grace was two years old, money got tight because money problem seems to kind of be like a theme with Jefferson. (laughs) And they went on like this one last heist in Wonderland and Priscilla just didn't make it out alive. That is, that is Grace's, that is the story, the very sad and tragic story of Grace's mother. 
Yeah, and it's from a graphic novel, which sounds really interesting. Yes, called Out of the Past. Regina negs him for being a mushroom forager, implying Grace has no future with their life as it is. The queen insists if Jefferson does this one last favor for her, Jefferson can bestow Grace the life she deserves. That's why I'm staying, Jefferson replies. You don't abandon family. That's what she deserves. Regina keeps at him, insisting all she needs are his skills to get her somewhere. She hands him a slip of paper. He reads it. Alarmed, Jefferson asks what business she could possibly have there. Regina casually says something of hers was taken and found its way over there, and she wants it back. He tells her to find someone else to get it. Regina claims while she is sorry she could not convince him to help her, she understands, adding, there's nothing more important than family. You leave him alone, Regina. Let him live his cottagecore life with his daughter. He just wants to be a soft dad. Just let him be a hot, soft dad. She will let no one be a hot, soft dad. She proves this again and again. <gasps> just let him be. In Storybrooke, Emma drives Jefferson to his home, an impressive mansion. If all of our friends pool their money together, we could own a house just like this and communal live together in harmony. In Maine. What do you say, girls? <laughs> Lynn can't live with too many people at once. She starts getting cagey. <laughs> Plus, Maine is full of murder clowns. And it's also it where is. happy endings go to die. We've learned this. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> Maine is full of suffering. It's full of nightmare sewer clowns and dead animals coming back to life to hurt you. And this shit. <laughs> no, they ki they killed the murder clown back in 1985. They're fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> they rebooted it. He's back. Emma thinks he must have a huge family, but Jefferson says it's just him. She assists him up the stairs and into his house. To thank her, Jefferson makes Emma tea and shows her a map of Storybrooke that he's been working on. Soon after drinking the tea, she begins to feel dizzy and struggles to stay on her feet. After Jefferson helps her onto the couch, Emma notices that Jefferson's limp is gone. He says, oh, that, I guess you caught me. Who are you, she asks, just before losing consciousness. Emma got roofied. I guess this is another week where the showrunner said, fuck them kids. Yo, drugging a lady or anyone is never okay. In the Enchanted Forest, we see Grace and her father at the market. She finds a stuffed rabbit in the toy cart and asks her father if he could buy it. He's just short of enough money and the seller refuses to accept less for it. Grace kindly tells her father she doesn't need it and he walks away frustrated. We see the vendor go around to the back of the caravan where a mirror is attached. The face of the genie appears, chastising the woman for being cruel as she could have at least let Grace keep the rabbit. The old woman's haggard face shifts, revealing to be the queen all along. I do like that even the magic mirror calls her out for being a dick at this point. Like, like, good on you, sir. I mean, what does he have left to lose at this point, right? He can call her out on, on all of her bullshit. I mean, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's true. Like, what, what more can she really do to this man at yeah. this point? <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate this being a callback to like the hag persona the evil queen adopts to trick Snow White. I feel like it could have been done less, I don't know, racistly. Yeah. I was like, oh no, they did that. The bad, the bad G word we don't say. Yeah. Yeah. At least thank goodness. Like they never said that word. Ugh. They never said it, but you could tell they were doing the really bad caricature. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But at least the, it's not a bad predatory musical Snow White. Oh yeah, no that that got all kinds of racist all over the place. When she was the what? The, there's yeah, there's a 1980s musical Snow White that's live action. They follow more of like the standard Snow White fairy tale. So like uh -huh. they have like the three times that the queen comes in different disguises to trick Snow White. Okay. But two of the disguises are super fucking racist because one is like leaning hard into the G word we don't say. And then the second time she comes, she like it does full on bad geisha makeup. <gasps> and, yeah. And talks in like the really like racist broken English with like bad R's. It's, it's bad. bad. Wow. In Storybrooke, Emma wakes up bound and gagged on the couch. No Jefferson in sight. She smashes the teacup 
to use the broken pieces in order to cut herself free. Damn, Emma is one smart cookie. That's smashing the teacup under the pillow to get like a sharp piece to cut herself loose all while avoiding an injury was genius. Ah, she's so smart. I don't know. It's, it's a nice like series of moves. I'm like, oh man, that's so clever. Oh yeah. Uh, I call dibs on Emma being in my desert island survival kit. Yeah. Oh, you wouldn't even need her there for the smarts. Like that woman has so much rage. She yeah. would punch her way off of the island and you just have to like <laughs> follow in her wake, essentially. Going to check the windows for an escape route, Emma finds a telescope at the window pointed directly at the sheriff's office. And Emma comes to the horrifying realization that this hot, hot man is a stalker and probably a serial killer. She follows noises of a blade being sharpened and opens a door to see Jefferson sharpening a pair of scissors. The shot of Jefferson looking at the scissors and like closing and opening and closing them is just, ah, chef's kiss. So good. And I think I sent that gif and then another gif from later with his next scars in full view and he flips on the hat to Lynn to convince her to start watching Once Upon a Time again after she had stopped. I was like, look how hot Sebastian Stan is. Look at this, this glorious unhinged hatter. Please, please, please catch up and watch it with me. And it worked. <laughs> It's true. The listeners may or may not remember. I don't know. I'm not their mom. But I full stop quit once upon a time after Graham's death. And I was literally only lured back to it with the promise of hot unhinged Sebastian Stan. So it did work. Also, I really love this scene of him sharpening the scissors because even though I know it isn't because time-wise it doesn't match up at all, it feels like it's linked to Hong Kong Disneyland Scare Maze The Nightmare Experiment which totally has a scene with a mad tea party where the Mad Hatter beheads someone with scissors. What? Yeah, it's wild. And if you don't know about it, I absolutely recommend looking into it. Review Time, Fast Pass Facts, and TDR Explorer have all covered on YouTube, and it is fantastic. It's the only park that has ever done Halloween scare mazes that is a Disney-owned park, and it's insane. That's fascinating. It's insane and fascinating. Like, I, I am more than happy to provide links that we can like put up on Twitter or something to be like, hey, check out these videos for, to what Lynn mentioned. Oh yeah, we'll we'll link them on the um on the Twitter because I think everyone should know about this because it's wild. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have to YouTube that. Back in the enchanted forest of the past, we see Jefferson using scissors to finish creating a makeshift rabbit for his daughter. She thanks him and continues her tea party with her stuffed animals. I love this hot, soft dad. No, I I am very soft for hot dad Sebastian Stan. I can't even tell you the kind of feels I am feeling for hot single dad Sebastian Stan right now. Suffice to say, they are rated E. For everyone? <laughs> yes, for everyone. <laughs> Exclusively for me. <laughs> also, I do want to say, in all seriousness, this is a very, very sweet scene and gesture that he's doing. Um, my dad actually did something very similar. Uh, when we moved from California from our house to an apartment in Pennsylvania, I was only six years old and we had to rehome all of our animals because the building just didn't accept pets. So I had to, we had to give away our two cats and our dog and our bird which was devastating for me as like a naturally born cat girl. I was so distraught and desperate for a cat that my dad actually made me a paper mache cat to, to like have until we could move into a house and get a real kitty. That's very sweet. It was very sweet. Uh, once we moved into a house, I got to adopt my, my kitty cat, Mr. Destiny. Jefferson tells his daughter he's going to be gone for the rest of the day and is sending her to the neighbor's house. Believing him to be mushroom foraging, Grace asks why she can't go with him. Evasively, he replies that he is not going foraging. Working out that this has something to do with the Queen's recent visit, Grace pleads with her father to not do whatever the Queen wants him to do. He says he wants her to have what she needs, but she says all she needs is him. Grace makes him promise that he will come back for their tea party. He says he wouldn't miss it for the world. He sees her off to the neighbors. Poor Grace. She's just like, that horrible woman wants to ruin our cottagecore dream and I won't stand for it, Dad. I wouldn't stand for it either. No, they have a good thing going and then Regina comes in here with her fantastic push-up bra and ruins everything. Yeah. 
Grace is going to be at the head of the revolution. Eat the rich, eat the rich. <laughs> this is this is how villains are made, people. Mm-hmm. Grace is a villain origin story in the making. But like a killmonger. Oh yeah, of. but oh, like yeah. you're all like, you nod and go, they're right. They're right. Yeah, they they're kind right. of have a point. Kind of have a point. <laughs> she's, oh, she's got us there. <laughs> After Grace leaves, Jefferson opens a chest and pulls out a leather case and places it in the middle of the floor. In Storybrooke, Emma sneaks down the hall and after a plank in the floor squeaks, she sneaks into the room closest to her where she finds Mary Margaret bound to a chair and gagged, crying. Emma removes the gag and frantically unties her as they whisper. Mary Margaret tells her that a man grabbed her in the woods while she was trying to escape. She then hilariously asks what Emma was doing there. To which Emma replies, looking for you, you escaped, remember? Mary Margaret confesses that she found a key under the pillow in her cell. She doesn't know who put it there and neither does Emma. How the hell are we still playing this guessing game? Especially Emma. (laughs) I don't know. Willful ignorance? I guess. I don't know. I don't don't know. Sometimes you kind of just got to go, it's Chinatown, Jake. Yeah, because Henry had his big move last episode with the keys. But the and keys, like, and Emma got it. She was like, "Oh my God, Regina is setting setting her up." Right, um, and then and then Mary Margaret says, "Oh, a key was mysteriously left under my pillow." <laughs> like, yeah, I don't. I mean, honestly, I feel like after Henry was like, "Look, pointedly, big ring of keys that I've just explained to you contain each a key that will open any door in this town." I guess, in and, and Emma's defense, number one, she is distressed. Number two, this is she true. was just drugged. This is also true. So, yeah, okay. okay, yeah, let's I'll cut, 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 cut her. I'm gonna, I'm gonna cut her some slack for that, okay. <laughs> you were just roofied, Emma, you poor thing. You get a pass. Emma sneaks them out of the room, but Jefferson is quick to find them, pulling a gun on them. Emma tries to bluff about calling for backup, which Jefferson debunks straight away as he knows Emma doesn't want anyone to find out what she's up to. He forces Emma to tie Mary Margaret up again. Emma reveals she knows he has been watching her through the telescope and wants to know why. Jefferson takes her by the wrist and leads her away, saying he needs her to do something. My favorite shot in this whole episode is Jefferson closing the door on Mary Margaret with his head like tilted way back. Like he's just, like he's a drag queen on RuPaul's Drag Race going like la-di-da. And and like, did you, I I rewound it like several times. I'm gonna have to. You have to. It's I'm such a great that. shot, like where he just he just like huh, like tosses his head back, and yeah. as he's like closing the door, like butt out, like back arched, like it's it is so queenly and just gorgeous. I love I it. I love it. Very foppish. <laughs> In the enchanted forest, Jefferson pays a visit to the queen. Oh gods, that licorice whip collar distracts from the rest of the outfit. Damn you, Castro. Which is sad because it would be good without it yeah the rest of it is very beautiful because that's definitely the thought i had as i was like regina's outfit would be so good if once again feathers weren't involved yeah but the rest it's always the feathers he needs to not anytime i feel like he needs to hire someone to just like slap his wrist whenever he's like and then i put feathers on it (laughs) who just goes like no bad yeah i mean I mean, yeah, and these are like like these weird like licorice whip kind of shaped ones. I mean, she matches her her fucking guards, but that's but not a look good. you want to emulate. Yeah, no, you don't want to match the guards. They're a blight. I mean, in the scene where she goes to visit Jefferson, she is wearing like a legit feathered collar, and I don't actually think it looks terrible. No, I I the first collar that she has with the purple, I think, looks quite nice. Yeah. This one's like you threw a feather boa like through the wash and then the dryer, even though you're not supposed it to. Shrink, it yeah. Out, just like, yeah, it's shrinking out scraggly, and you were like, uh, I guess. Yeah, yeah. She's wearing. The, she's actually wearing the same collar, but someone just put it in the dryer. <laughs> yeah. and then was like, we're over budget. We're over budget. Just throw it on as is. <laughs> we don't. We don't have the money to make a second one. Jefferson's holding the box. He demands a guarantee. If he does what she wants, his daughter will want for nothing. The queen gives him her word. He sets the box down on the floor, opens it, removes a hat, delicately puts it on the floor and gives it a spin. A purple cloud swirls up from the hat as it forms a cyclone in the middle of the room. 
Jefferson and the queen link arms and jump into the middle of it together. Regina's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to betray you for sure, but you are ever so handsome. So please hold my arm. Fair. How could you betray such a beautiful man? Because she sucks. Flash forward to the future. Jefferson takes Emma into a room full of hats on shelves. All right, I have to gush a minute because the set design in the scene is stellar, especially the wallpaper. It's beautiful. This room is a perfect picture of, of Jefferson and Storybrooke, just like Regina's office is for her and the diner is for Granny and Red. It's just, it's really fantastically done. And it just adds this like ominous, but like alluringly beautiful feel to the scene, which I think fits Jefferson really well. The wallpaper trips me out. I'm, I'm not going to lie. And I think it's actually like the color scheme. Cause you know, that is just not my, that's not my uh, color scheme. That's not my palette. So, yeah. cause it's like this, like kind of deep burnt orange, I think. Yeah. It's a burnt orange, I think. Yeah. Oof, oof. That is, that is a hellscape for me. <laughs> but it works yeah. because it's his coat, you know, from. Yeah, the- absolutely. No, no, no. It totally matches like his coat from the Enchanted Forest. If you hurt my friend, you're going to regret it, Emma threatens him. Nonplussed, Jefferson calmly replies, hurt her, I'm saving her life. Emma does not follow his logic, prompting Jefferson to explain, we both know what happens when people leave Storybrooke, the curse. Emma plays dumb, what curse? The curse that is keeping us all trapped, he says, except you and Henry. I'm adding Aunt Henry. We should always add Aunt Henry. We don't talk about Henry enough. And he's a good boy. He's a good boy. He's a good boy. And he can leave Storybrooke. Yeah. He can. And he does. He can go to Boston, the only other place that exists. (laughs) (laughs) Other than Phoenix in like some weird like fever dream past context. And Tallahassee. Oh, well. Well, they've got four points on the map now. (laughs) Four whole cities exist in the entirety of the United States. She asks if he's been reading Henry's book, which prompts Jefferson to mock her for ignoring the stories in it. He says that if she knew what he knows, she wouldn't ignore them. She asks him again why he's been spying on her. Jefferson says that for the last 28 years, he's been stuck in this house day after day until Emma came into town and the clock ticked and things started to change. Sebastian Stan is so good in this episode. He's always good, but like, damn, he really kills it as Jefferson. Like you, you, you physically feel his frustration and his sadness and his madness. It's just, it's so good. Hard agree. In a lesser actor's hands, they would have really leaned into that mad hatter trope and gone all zany and over the top. It would have ruined the nuance of the role and shattered any sympathy we have for him. Also, especially for those of you who are just listening to our podcast but have never seen the show and have no intention of watching the show, his line delivery is very even-tempered and very measured. It's not wild. It's not fluctuating like like a court jester. It's not um, over the top in any way. It's just perfectly sad perfectly like kind of kooky just like you know like you can you can hint that yeah it has been driving him mad the last 28 years i think it actually makes him seem more threatening oh absolutely oh yeah that he's just like calmly explaining this to her without like any sort of like you said like veering into the camp territory that people usually want to do if a mad hatter is involved and yeah. like, if they'd done that, you would have been like, mm, yeah, okay. But like the fact that he delivers it this way, like you understand why Emma's threatened by him. Cause you're like, oh, he, he's imposing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's also hot and really tall. Yeah. But, Which, uh, yeah. But he's also, yeah. But like <laughs> the fact that he's like keeping like this really even measure of tone. Mm-hmm is really unnerving Emma. And I think that's also due to the fact that she is used to people, especially with her past as a bail bonds woman, she's used to people like running and probably being over the top and being like out of control. So she's used to the being like probably the only one in control in a situation. And the fact that like they both are, I think really unnerves her. Mm-hmm. 
I know what you refuse to acknowledge, Jefferson tells her. She's special. She brought magic to Storybrooke. Emma tells Jefferson he's insane. He tells her she's probably the one who's insane because she refuses to see what's right in front of her. What do you want, Emma asks. Jefferson tells her he wants her to get it to work. He sits her down and faces her towards a hat. You're the only one who can do this, he insists before resting his chin atop her head. You're gonna get it to work. Whew, I am fanning myself. Dear Lord, what did I just watch? Like, I don't ship it. I don't even see the ship. Emma is non-consequential in this scene. He could have done the same line delivery and blocking to a pineapple and I'd still be just as flustered. Honestly, there is more palpable sexual tension in a single minute of Jefferson and Emma interacting than the entirety of her talking to August. Like, fuck August. Look at this sexy recluse with the weird hat collection. Oh God, someone please send me a sexy recluse with a weird hat collection. <laughs> oh, he's a recluse. You're gonna have to go find him. Oh, damn it. But I'm a recluse. How are we gonna find each other? I don't know, man. You're gonna have to meet halfway. <laughs> but that chemistry, man, like it isn't healthy. She does not want to be here. And you should never, ever date someone who would ever drug you or pull a gun on you. But they played off each other so well. These two are excellent scene partners and I really like watching them together. I think he has really hot chemistry with another character that we'll see him interact with later. T. He manages to have really good chemistry with almost everyone he shares a scene with. It's very he, true. This is true. Except for Regina, who he who he, he just wants her out of his house. Yeah, who yeah. I was just gonna say, <laughs> who he palpably palpably hates. And not like in a hate fuck way, like in a get out of my fucking house and get off my lawn kind of way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In a very like Ma'am, you have two minutes to remove yourself from my domicile before I get my firearm. <laughs> yeah. In the past, the Queen and Jefferson are at the entrance, a multitude of doors leading to other realms. Think Nightmare Before Christmas. He tells her they have to stick together because the same amount of people that go in must come back. No more, no less. They step through a mirror and into a horrifically CGI realm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It is the worst CGI we have seen to date. I mean, I guess at least their feet touch the ground. This is true. Yeah. It is not so, pilot CGI. No, it's not Regina floating a full meter above the ground as she stamps, quote unquote, on it, except not because she never connects. Yeah. I think, unfortunately, like the CGI is, it, it's a choice. Like they're going more cartoonish. They're going more over the top, but it, <sighs> it just doesn't quite work for me. As they walk down the path, a large hookah-smoking caterpillar wearing a fez blows smoke in their direction and asks, Who are you? Who, 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 who? Shush. <laughs> Jefferson grumbles, I hate Wonderland. Such an A-plus delivery for that line. It's wonderful. It's very good. I personally say it all the time. She does. It doesn't matter <laughs> if it's applicable or not. <laughs> It's just when I'm mildly inconvenienced by almost anything. <laughs> I hate Wonderland. I hate Wonderland. It's like I drop a glass. <laughs> Did you guys ever see the, um, I know I own this. This is what I grew up with. The 1986 version musical uh, of Alice in Wonderland with Natalie Gregory. I don't think so. And I, oh my goodness. If you want to talk about like big 80s production televised like mini series oh my god i'm gonna have to bring this dvd and you're just gonna have to watch it with me because <laughs> it's all musical you have people like you have like everybody who was anybody at like in like 1985 right so you had like scott Bayo and ringo star and <laughs> pat morita and then like older people like people that like you know you're like grandparents and parents knew like merv griffith carol channing <laughs> fucking crazy it's bananas and i grew up with that alice in wonderland um, i watched the weird early 90s tv show i love I that. that yeah i loved it was, it they was just like put it on disney adventures plus. in wonderland adventures, yeah, adventures in wonderland yeah, just added yeah. to disney plus yeah i, I, I always cool, liked that one i was obsessed with that when i was a kid 
I always also, wanted her little jacket. Her little jacket was super cute. Oh, it was very stylish. It was very 90s chic. And uh, plugging another a YouTuber we love, Defunct Land did an awesome, oh, an awesome yes. video on, on uh, Adventures in Wonderland. Yeah, Defunct Land's Defunct Adventures Land. in Wonderland is superb. Everything Kevin Perger does is superb. Watch yeah. Defunct Land if you haven't watched watch Defunct, Defunct Land. Land. I, I, I am still making my way through Defunct Land. It's so good. He's he's so good. Watch that like, four-part Jim Henson series oh, that, oh yeah you will cry no 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 i did i did cry that oh was, yeah that's what i first started buckets. on we started with his superstar limo video yeah <laughs> which is such a great it's so great when he talks about shit you know and you've experienced because mm-hmm. i definitely yeah. experienced that and what's great is that i actually experienced rocket rods which oh, I yeah. You too. Did, yep. yeah. oh yeah but like it's so fun because to be like a southern californian because you know, like that, they that were was for so there short. for such yeah. a short amount of time. Like, yeah, years. you blinked and they were gone. So yeah. like, there was really a very like small amount of people that did go on them. So if you did, you're all like, I'm in a special club. Yeah. I went on rocket rods. <laughs> I know I feel that way. I don't know if you do, Chelsea. I do. But I, I okay, do good. I, do. I, I, I do feel too. like we need like shirts that are like the secret <laughs> rocket rods. Club. I went on rocket rods. I went on rocket, rocket rods. rods. Did you? No, you didn't. <laughs> You wouldn't know. You weren't there. <laughs> and we put on our monocles. <laughs> and walk away with our noses in the air. Exactly. And a pinky up. <laughs> there you go. In Storybrooke, Jefferson orders Emma to make a hat, believing her magic will make it work properly. Uh, bro, she's gonna need like a YouTube tutorial or a course or a masterclass in millinery. Which is a good point because yo, making hats is fucking hard. Dude, making hats is fucking hard. That's why they cost an arm and a leg. Yeah, cause, mm-hmm. cause it's hard. It's hard. It's really hard. She pieces together the hat, the tea, and the psychotic behavior. You think you're the Mad Hatter, she accuses. He reiterates that his name is Jefferson. She thinks he has glommed onto Henry's shtick and tells him the stories aren't real. You know the issue with this world, he says, everyone wants some magical solution for their problems and everyone refuses to believe in magic. A great line. I wrote that in my notes with like no context. I just wrote it down because I was like, oh, it's nice and a wonderful delivery. It is a great line, but you know what? I believe in magic. Hey, magic, please solve all of my problems. I have a lot of them. God, wouldn't please that magic. be fucking nice? Please magic. Emma tries to explain that this is it. This is the real world. Jefferson tells her that her world is no more real than his and how arrogant it is of her to think hers is the only one. He tells her that there are infinite more worlds out there. All of them have their own rules. Some have magic, some don't, and some need magic like this one. And that's where you come in. He tells her she and Mary Margaret aren't going anywhere until Emma makes his hat and gets it to work. And then what, she asks. Then I go home, he says. These two play off each other so well. It's it's, it's a really fantastically acted episode. And Jefferson here is just like, girl, you've seen the damn signs everywhere. This town is wacky and you're the one changing things. And she's just like, shit, I believe that you believe, but you have me and my mom friend captive and I'm gonna fight the hell to get us out of here. So I'm not really listening to what you're saying except for she does agree uh, that's just my my non-committal yes yes i agree <laughs> with everything you are saying absolutely fingers steepled mm-hmm. yes, yeah. this, yes, yes, yes 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 <laughs> tell us more <laughs> in wonderland jefferson and regina approach the labyrinthine hedge maze at the beginning of the land belonging to the queen of hearts Jefferson is reluctant to carry on, but Regina pressures him to move forward. She fireballs through the deadly hedge walls and leads them to the center where a vault sits. Inside is a wall full of boxes, not unlike the one found in Regina's vault. She takes one of the boxes. As they make to leave, they are ambushed by several knights. A chase ensues, but they manage to escape. As Regina and Jefferson approach the looking glass, the queen stops and breaks off a piece of the mushroom. 
poor Jefferson in the scene is having a full scale panic attack and being like, we need to leave right now. And Regina is just like, blah, blah, blah. You can't leave without me. Remember two people have to leave together. And he just has this look of, I will leave your ass here. I will grab that annoying ass caterpillar and get the fuck out. <laughs> woman, woman. Oh my God. He should have just done that. He yeah. should have. I'm like so much better for him if he it's had. Like, Buddy, do it. You don't even like her. <laughs> Regina opens the box and puts the piece of mushroom inside of it. A massive purple cloud emerges and her father, Henry, materializes. Regina explains to Jefferson that the Queen of Hearts has always considered her a threat. So she wanted leverage and took Henry Sr. Regina is now taking him back home. Jefferson realizes Regina intends to leave him as she knew only the same number of people who came in are allowed to go out. Panic-stricken and tearful, Jefferson pleads with Regina, saying that Grace is expecting him home to return in time for tea. The queen viciously rounds on him, telling him if he really cared for his daughter, he wouldn't have left her in the first place. You were right, Jefferson, she says cruelly. You don't abandon family. Yo, suck a fuck, Regina. This poor soft dad being left behind and like regina you literally manipulated the situation so he'd bring you here and so that he thought he was doing it for his daughter's sake so like you don't get to be weird and self-righteous in this moment like no yeah regina is the very textbook definition of toxic the second she feels anything close to like regret or remorse because someone is calling her out on her bullshit she just lashes out and turns it on the other person yeah to like make them look like like you know kind of like when your older sibling like takes your fist and starts smacking your own face with it going, stop hitting yourself, stop hitting yourself, stop hitting yourself. You know, that's Regina. Yeah. Like, yeah. I know. Why didn't she just take <laughs> another one of like one of her guards with her? So they had three people. And then just like ditch the spare. Yeah. Which sorry to that guard, but you know, she would have kept Jefferson. He knew around. what he was signing up for when he decided to be one of her goddamn guards. I absolutely 100% agree. Again, like these very small loopholes. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like that are just like these little fallacies in the script that were like, we, we just solved your problem. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, I guess with, without these problems, would there be conflict? Cause these are the conflicts that they set up. No, guess- of course not. I guess not. I mean, Jesus, I just, <laughs> shut up, Elisa. Stop making me think. That's what you stop making. Are. Stop making me accept their half-ass fucking like plot, flimsy-ass plot. And... Jesus. All right. It's not like she doesn't have enough gold or money or influence or power or whatever to like throw some coin over at Jefferson to make sure that he can take care of the daughter. And Regina's soft on kids, like she is. She legit is. That's what kind of surprises me because in the fucking fuck story that is True North. She very purposefully is like, get the dad out of the picture. Now I can adopt these kids. And it's a little weird almost that she doesn't like seize on that same opportunity and just be like, Grace will be taken care of. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't like, understand. I don't understand that. Like yeah. I always forget that she just kind of does this because my brain always expects her to do that because she has the like desperation to have a child thing. I always expect her to be like. Your sacrifice is honored, good sir. I will take care of your child and then still fuck him over, but like essentially attempt what she did in True North. Yeah, maybe just the the desire hasn't like kicked in with her yet. Yeah, so maybe right now Regina's just riding this high of being, you know, this all-powerful evil queen owning her evilness that maybe right now it's the last thing on her mind. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I was like, yeah, maybe she's just like, you know, she's like real focused on, you know, getting all her ducks in a row for the curse and such. I I was going to say, when does this land in the timeline? It's after uh, The Heart is a Lonely Hunter and it's before The Thing You Love Most. So it's it's pretty loose when this hits in Regina's reign. Because the only thing we can clearly place it before is The Thing You Love Most because she has Henry Sr. Right. Okay. Hmm. Realizing he won't return to his daughter, Jefferson screams in anguish as Regina and Henry Sr. abandon him to the approaching knave of hearts and his knights. I felt that scream in my heart. Poor soft daddy. I mean, Jefferson. Nice recovery, man. The veiled queen of hearts questions Jefferson through the knave of hearts. 
It is verboten to acknowledge any queen but the Queen of Hearts. Thus, Regina is only referred to as Regina. The Queen of Hearts wishes to know how Jefferson traveled to Wonderland. If I tell you, will you let me go home to my daughter? The knave scoffs and we hear the Queen of Hearts whisper off with his head. I have to say this whole court scene is like some court of eyes wide shut kinky shit, you know, like with her yeah. Yeah, red is. veil and, and everyone's like, I don't know, it's all like black and red and Everyone's it feels like, untoward. Yeah. 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 And I know it, they're just being like wink wink because this, this is a character reveal for the future, but but, but still. it still feels like there's something there that you're like, I know there's no palpable reason why I feel like kids shouldn't watch this scene. <laughs> and but I still feel like time, I, would, I would cover yeah, the child's eyes. I would reach over and cover the eyes of any kid watching <laughs> this part with me to just be like, don't look at this. There's some weird adult thing going on right now, and I can't explain it to you. I can't figure it out, but I, I, I it's, but I know you shouldn't look at it. Before you realize what is happening, a knight slices Jefferson's head clean off. He's gobsmacked to still find himself alive and talking while a knight is holding his head high up in the air. The knave of hearts presses Jefferson to answer, which he does, confessing about his magic hat. As Regina stole Jefferson's hat, the knave charges Jefferson with a new task, make another magic hat. In Storybrooke, Emma is trying to do just that. Considering I doubt Emma knows a damn thing about millinery, she's doing pretty good. Like, it's a good looking hat. Yeah. I just thought she was, I thought she was just messing with the hat that was like sitting on the desk. No, he gives her bare materials and is like, fucking do it. She, he had to have let her look on YouTube. In frustration, Emma stops, demanding to know what about this life is so cursed. Jefferson tells her, like everyone else in Storybrooke, what he loves most has been ripped from him. He asks her to take a look through another telescope. It's pointed at another house where his daughter Grace is living as a girl named Paige, being cared for by the neighbors he left her with, enchanted to believe that they are a biological family. Emma asks why he doesn't say something to her. And Jefferson says he doesn't want to inflict his curse on his daughter, the curse of knowledge of their real life conflicting realities driving him mad. Something clicks in Emma as she realizes he only wants to take his daughter home. Emma starts to cry and tells him she knows what it's like to be separated from her child. She says it can make you feel like you're losing your mind. He says it's real and Emma agrees maybe it is. He asks her if she believes. If what you're saying is true, that woman in the other room is my mother, she says, referring to Mary Margaret. Emma adds that she wants more than anything to believe that it's true. She agrees maybe she needs to open her mind up to magic. Jefferson lets his guard down, turning his back momentarily to Emma, and she uses that as an opportunity to knock him the fuck out with the telescope. Emma learned bludgeoning hot men from her mom. You got knocked the fuck out! Hell yeah! Emma runs to free Mary Margaret, but Jefferson quickly catches up and a tussle ensues. At one point, Emma catches a long look at the scar running across Jefferson's neck from where the knight sliced it off. This scene though, with the neck scar and the unhinged smile and him flipping the hat up onto his head, goddamn, this man is so hot. It's legit one of my favorite all time shots in Once Upon a Time. It's perfect. Like, uh, he's so, so dreamy. So, so dreamy. Shell is not here right now, but if you would like to leave a message, she will get back to you once she is done drooling over this delicious specimen of a man. Beep. <laughs> Jefferson manages to grab his gun and gets a clean shot of Emma, but Mary Margaret hits him from behind with a croquet mallet and kicks him through a window from oh, which yeah. he falls several floors to the ground. Emma is stunned as she and Mary Margaret look out the window to find only the hat on the ground with no trace of Jefferson. Outside, Emma and Mary Margaret see no sign of the Mad Hatter. Have you been taking kickboxing classes and not telling me about it? Asks Emma. Equally astonished by her skills, Mary Margaret replies, I have no idea where that came from. They find Emma's car covered with a tarp and the keys on the driver's seat. Emma gives the keys to Mary Margaret, telling her she has the choice of whether to run or face the charges against her and trust that Emma can help her see through this. 
When Mary Margaret questions why Emma staunchly supports her, Emma confesses that she had no one before Mary Margaret. Her walls were up and she was utterly alone. It was Mary Margaret who took a chance on her and convinced her to take a chance on herself. I can't lose that, says Emma. I can't lose family. Mary Margaret is very touched. Emma asks Mary Margaret if she'd rather face this together than alone. Mary Margaret gives back the keys. The bells ring the hour and Emma remembers the 8 a.m. arraignment. These two, Jesus. Emma loves Mary Margaret so much and she's just like, be my mom friend forever. These ladies hit me right in my heart. They're like the perfect example of the found family trope, except for they're actually family that found each other. They just don't believe it yet. But they're so good that even as as friends that they're so, so close and it's so sweet. I love them. I love them both so much. Too. Every interaction between these two are just mm, perfection. Once a week. perfection. Once a week, I say I would watch a whole show that was just them talking. Yeah. And be totally happy because they're just so cute. Mom friend forever. We next see Regina pulling up to the sheriff's office and Emma's bug is not in the sheriff's parking spot. Regina looks quite pleased as she walks in, but she is stunned when she sees Mary Margaret sitting in her cell, nonchalantly reading a newspaper. Elisa, put a Nelson Muntz laugh here because that's my reaction to Regina and her smug ass face coming in and being all like, and Mary Margaret just primly sitting there. (laughs) I'll assume you did it, thank you. Mr. Gold tells Regina that his client is not having any visitors. Regina walks out and Mr. Gold follows. In the hallway, Regina asks, what is she doing here? Mr. Gold explains to Regina that Mary Margaret came back. You said this would work, Regina says, that she'd take the key and that she'd go. Mr. Gold said she did, but it seems that Ms. Swan is rather more resourceful than we thought. He tells Regina not to worry because Mary Margaret is still guilty of murder. You may yet get what you want, he says. Regina tells him the only reason she made a deal with him is because she wanted results. He assures her she'll have them, adding, seeing you at the arraignment. Regina leaves in a huff. Here's the thing, Regina. Mr. Gold doesn't like you. (laughs) Not one fucking bit. He is playing you like a fiddle. And like the Charlie Brown caricature you are, you keep falling for the football. Like, you know he knows that he's Rumpelstiltskin. Why the fuck are you even, like, trusting him? He also made a deal with Emma. And of the two of them, who do you think he's going to tip it more favorably towards? His sort of adopted daughter he's clearly fond of. Or this woman he wishes would die in a fire. I don't think Regina knows, though, about their deal. She probably thinks that, like, he's he's in her pocket because she thinks everyone's in her pocket. That's why it's <laughs> funny. Yeah. Because yeah. it's like, no, no, no. Meanwhile, Emma finds Henry at school and tells him she found Mary Margaret and that she's okay, other than being on trial for murder. Paige comes by and says hi to Henry. Still haunted by Jefferson, Emma asks Henry for his story book. She's curious about something. She flips through the pages and sees the picture of Jefferson with his daughter, Grace, another with his hat, and another with a slice on his neck. Ugh, why? Sebastian Stan is so hot. Why you gotta do him dirty like this? These motherfucking illustrations in this book are a crime against humanity. There it is. This is the one. This is the worst storybook illustration of the show. This is the exact picture that is burned into my memory forever. I'll never forget this picture. It'll be the last thing I see before I die. Because oh, it's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. Like in, in a litany of really, really, really shitty illustrations, this one somehow manages to be the worst one in the entire show. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's god awful. And if one. you have never seen this show, do us all a favor and at least Google this. Just Google Jefferson Mad Hatter storybook. Storybook page. I'm sorry. Yeah. Probably come it's, it's just. Or you know what don't you're better off without it (laughs) no we have to pass along the curse it's like it's like the it's like the ring it is like the ring i was gonna say is that the (laughs) ring with the curse yeah so we see a flash of jefferson in the past surrounded by hats in a gigantic warehouse jail building going insane as he's desperately trying to make a hat that works 
presumably in Wonderland. The school bell rings, prompting Henry to gather his belongings. Emma asks Henry if she can borrow the book for a while. A bright smile appears on Henry's face as he affirms absolutely before running to join his class. As I say in basically every episode he's in, Henry is a very good boy. He is so proud of Emma for being interested in the book. It's very cute. The cutest. He's the cutest boy. Intently, Emma begins to look more closely at the book. End credits. So this is another of my absolute favorite episodes. Uh, Like I said last episode, starting from around episode 15 onward, this season finishes out strong. Sebastian Stan kills it, both as the soft dad Jefferson trying to leave his past behind him and as the isolated storybook Jefferson living with two timelines in his head, one of which features a magical beheading and endless hat making. He plays so well off Jennifer and these two have great chemistry. And the emotional payoff of Emma calling Mary Margaret her family just, uh, it gets me right in my heart. This episode excels with both a great Enchanted Forest storyline and a great storybook storyline, which we know can kind of be hit and miss. Sometimes Enchanted Forest storyline's great, but storybook's lacking. Sometimes it's reversed. Storybook is great, but Enchanted Forest is lacking. This one, I think they do well on on both storylines. They weave together well. Overall, this episode works as both a stellar standalone episode, and it serves to move the greater plot along. I I really do love this one. It's excellent work all around to the cast and crew, except for that old woman makeup. That was a bit of a miss. A bit of a miss, you mean racist. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, a little bit, yeah. I do want to note that according to the Once Upon a Time fandom wiki, uh, Lana asked to be the old woman. They were going to cast an actual elderly woman for that role, but she wanted to like... She really likes getting all dressed up in makeup and things like that. So she had asked to like actually play that role. Which I think would have been fine if they just leaned into like the very stereotypical just crone. Yeah. Yeah. And hadn't put the flavor on it that they did for lack of a better word. The G word we will not say. The G word we're not going to say on this show because you you can do creepy old Snow White crone makeup fine and just have it be that's a generic frightening looking old lady mm-hmm. without it being an offensive stereotype yeah i like the i mean like the white hair was fine but yeah like the actual costuming the the accoutrement the, yeah. the accou- yeah exactly exactly I think different costuming it, it would have been a it would have been a world of a difference like yeah. just put her in generic black cloak like she is in the disney cartoon yeah and it would have been fine or just all black, like like she's just yeah. like an old widow or something. Yeah, just a I don't know. creepy old lady with long stringy white hair dressed all in black. And yeah. That would have been fine. Yeah. Just don't make it racist. Don't make it racist. Words to live by. Hey guys, don't just make don't make it racist. racist. Don't do it. Yeah. Don't do it. So this this actually is my favorite episode of this season. Like I mentioned before, this episode is the reason I came back to Once Upon a Time. There, there are many snowing-centric episodes I like an awful lot, but this is my favorite. After I said, hey, fuck this place, I'm never coming back after what they did to Graham, this episode is what made me go, okay, fine, maybe we can make up and be friends again. Apparently, I'm simple. Put Sebastian Stan in it, and I'll show up. Also, one thing I forgot to mention earlier in this episode is Once Upon a Time really likes to get cheeky about what it names its characters, and sometimes it's real not good like making Belle's last name French. That was a miss and it was stupid. But in this instance, they actually were hella clever because I love that Jefferson and Grace are named so as as a reference to Jefferson Airplane and lead singer Grace Slick who did White Rabbit. So this one time, they were actually real smart. Oh yeah, so good. I love this episode so much, not only because Sebastian Stan is a snack and makes for a totally hot steampunk goth Mad Hatter with big bisexual energy, although that helps. But because Emma really truly shines again and takes another step closer to belief. Jefferson did put her in danger and she is absolutely entitled to her hostile emotions about him, but he definitely got in her head and made her think and re-examine of what is really going on in Storybrooke. Like shit is finally beginning to add up for her. So we're seeing like the payoff of all of her time in Storybrooke finally kind of coming together. Yeah. His methods weren't great, but they worked. 
but but the results can't all be argued with. You can't argue with results, people. <laughs> and my God, he got them. Come to Crazy Hatter's House of a Thousand Hats. <laughs> we'll get results and we'll get them with a pair of giant murder scissors. This is, this is important. Kids, kids, no no kidnapping, no okay. drugging, no, roofies. no scissors, no roofies, no guns, none of this. Don't Do not replicate his results. And men, men folk never, ever, ever sneak up on a woman. No, we've had to say it's a couple episodes now. We have. Costumes. Costumes. Both Jefferson's golden enchanted forest gear and his Storybrook all black like ascot waistcoat oh. combo are gorgeous. I love both costumes so much and they really tell the story of the same character from two very different points in his life. And I love it. His outfits were so good. Everything he wears is absolutely gorgeous, but it's also Sebastian Stan. And they could have stuck him in a potato sack and I still would have been like, A plus, all the awards. All right, it's time to play Who's That Guest Star in which we give a little background info on the guest stars. So in episode 17, we have Roger Daltrey as the voice of the Caterpillar. Daltrey is the legendary frontman and singer of The Who. If you are too young to know that band, go ask your parents. Ali Scobie as Paige, AKA Grace. Canadian actress Scobie has appeared in films such as Personal Effects, his perfect obsession, and Breathless. She is mostly found on television with roles in shows like Firefly Lane, The Gourmet Detective, Wind Calls the Heart, Fringe, and Supernatural. Paul McGillian as the Knave of Hearts. Scottish-born and Canadian-raised, McGillian has been seen in television shows such as Firefly Lane, The Flash, The Killing, Sanctuary, Stargate Atlantis, R.L. Stein's The Haunting Hour, and Supernatural. I'm sorry. I got I got to pause and laugh my ass. It's always supernatural. I always put it last just because it's just fucking hilarious. Was it was it last was it last episode that you were like it gets to a point where like you can't throw a rock without hitting someone who's been in supernatural? Like yeah, that. so I I so. think I think that's the point we're in right now. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's there's no there's no Kevin Bacon degrees of separation. It's just mm -mm, we're no, we're just, in supernatural. We live mm, here now. We live here now. We live in supernatural. Hello. I want to say they were filmed primarily in similar locations. Canada. Yeah, because I, I mean, Canada. yeah, yeah, because supernatural, right. supernatural is almost entirely like shot in Vancouver. So yeah. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. So it makes sense that they have a similar pool of actors. Okay. But, but still. But still, there's still. other TV shows out there, and yet everyone somehow comes everyone back to Supernatural. supernatural. All yeah. roads lead to Supernatural, I guess. I guess. Jennifer Koenig, and I am so sorry if I am mispronouncing that last name, as the Queen of Hearts. Manitoba-born Koenig only has a handful of IMDb credits, including guest spots on Supergirl, Siren, The In-Between, The 100, DC's Legends of Tomorrow, and Supernatural. Well, I think that's it. No one else anyone would know. Oh... Okay, I'll talk about the proverbial elephant in the room. Sebastian Stan as Jefferson, the Mad Hatter. Romanian born, New York raised by way of Austria, Sebastian Stan is best known for his role as Sergeant James Buchanan Bucky Barnes, AKA the Winter Soldier in the behemoth that is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. His other films include Black Swan, The Martian, I, Tanya, Monday, and Hot Tub Time Machine. Stan's other small screen credits include Gossip Girl, Kings, and Political Animals. We love you, Sebastian Stan. We love you. We do. We stan a stan. Stan a stan. We stan a stan in this house. All right, I want to distract everyone from how handsome Sebastian Stan is with Once Upon a Timeline. I know it's impossible, but let's try to do it for a moment. All right, uh, so this one is a little difficult to place within the past 16 episodes as the flashbacks mostly contain new characters, but we can loosely place it within the greater timeline due to a few details around the evil queen and her crew. First is the fact that we have Queen Regina in power with the magic mirror on her side. Placing this episode after both episode 11, Fruit of the Poisonous Tree, and episode seven, The Heart is a Lonely Hunter, as both those deal with the origin story of the magic mirror and of course the death of King Leopold, leaving Queen Regina in power. And then um, in this episode, we see Queen Regina use Jefferson as a tool to retrieve her father, Henry Sr. Henry Sr. can later be seen at Queen Regina's side in the flashbacks in episode two, 
the thing you love most. Until, of course, he meets his end as Regina's sacrifice. So we can place this episode's flashback somewhere between episode 7, The Heart is a Lonely Hunter, when Queen Regina has come into power, and episode 2, The Thing You Love Most, where Henry Sr. ultimately meets his end. And that's what I have. Next time on Once Upon a Rewatch, Emma continues to search for evidence that will prove Mary Margaret's innocence as flashbacks reveal the reason behind the evil queen's hatred for Snow White. Thank you for tuning in to Once Upon a Rewatch. We are the Narrators 3. The moral of this episode is, Sebastian Stan is a balm that heals all wounds, especially wounds inflicted by Once Upon a Time itself. You can find us on anchor.fm slash Once Upon a Rewatch. Talk fairy tales with us on Twitter at Once Upon Rewatch. On Instagram at Once Upon Rewatch. On Tumblr at onceuponarewatch.tumblr.com. If you enjoy Once Upon a Rewatch, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on your platform of choice. I want to say a very special thank you to the master of free music, Kevin McLee. Our intro music is Frost Waltz, and our outro is Fairy Tale Waltz. And remember, all pod devices come with a price. We stand a stand. We stand a stand. Stand a stand.